Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. In this series of Christmas, uh, entitled All I Want for Christmas, is, and uh, then looking at several uh, different topics. Uh, of course, as I said, the first week when you hear that phrase, All I Want for Christmas, some of you might want to fill in with my two front teeth. Some of you might want to say, All I Want for Christmas is you and uh, go to the romantic side uh, of it. But uh, we're hoping to really focus on what Christmas ought to be about, even in the video that Brandy put together uh, for us. You kind of see a lot of elements that we make Christmas about, and then it kind of comes near the end of the video, uh, showing us what Christmas should really be about. What we're talking about in in the series, I started out uh, talking about all I want for Christmas is more uh, stuff. And, And then I put the question mark, really, because that's not what Christmas is actually about. Uh, I had to be gone uh, last week, and uh, Brad uh, filled in, and he talked about all I want for Christmas is a significant life. The reason I asked Brad to fill in last week is because uh, where they do a lot of the mission trips to Guatemala and, uh, and things like that, they're not doing that about themselves. They're doing that about others. And if, and if we want to have a more significant life, it's going to be in us serving Christ and serving other people, not making everything uh, about ourselves. Today we're going to talk about this. All I want for Christmas is a better life. All I want for Christmas is is a better life. Jesus came for higher reasons than just to give us a winter holiday. He came for higher reasons than just to cause you to go out on a shopping spree. He came for higher reasons than just to give us a reason to, to decorate our homes and put up the trees and all the lights and everything like that that maybe goes into to Christmas. He came for a much higher reason. We've kind of taken Christmas, as I said, the opening day of this series, and we've allowed it to become more of a consumer holiday than it is a Christian holiday. We focus more on what's under the tree than we do Jesus coming to die on the tree for our sins. So let's change that this Christmas. Jesus said this in John chapter 10, and if you want to find your place there, we'll bounce back and forth in some other verses in John chapter 10 plus some other verses But Jesus said this in verse 10 and 11. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came, and that's why we're celebrating Christmas, the coming of Christ. I came in order that they might have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now understand, that's not a traditional passage of Scripture for Christmas time. But it does talk about why Jesus came. So how can we look at at these two verses, along with some others I'll bring into it, but how can we look at those two verses and, and maybe get a message that's needful for our heart and our lives here at Christmas? First of all, these words of Jezus need to warn us. They need to provide us a, a warning. Jesus said that the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. 
Now, of course, the background for you to get everything in context, the background to this whole passage of Scripture in John chapter 10, Jesus is using an illustration about sheep and shepherds. And he talks about bringing the sheep into something called a sheepfold. A, a shepherd would be out leading the sheep, guiding the sheep during the daytime, bring them to the sheepfold, a place of safety at night. The shepherd would even sleep in the doorway of that sheepfold, and thieves would either have to come across the shepherd or climb over the wall in order to try and steal the sheep during the night. Jesus, I think, had a special message as he tells this to maybe some of the religious leaders of that day because they made it all about themselves and and not about the sheep of Israel. But ultimately, I think Jesus also is talking about the ultimate thief whose name is Satan. He, He gives us a warning that this ultimate thief, the only reason he comes, his only purpose is something that's really negative for our lives. To steal, kill, and destroy. He he wants to steal some things out of your life, kill some things in your life, even destroy your life totally if he has the opportunity to do so. But how does that apply to Christmas? Just maybe like this. I don't think the thief has any interest in Christmas being about what Christmas ought to be about. You understand what I'm saying? I, I think the thief doesn't want to promote the real reason for Christmas. And just maybe he's provided a counterfeit focus. Now, I'm not trying to be a spoil sport to Christmas and everything. I know we've got, uh, you know, several uh, younger ones with us in the audience. Uh, So I'm, I'm, I'm not wanting to come across like I'm trying to correct your parenting skills or anything like that. But I, I do think we need to stop and think about this just for a moment. Have you ever played around with the uh, name of Satan and shift the later letters around and figure out what else you can spell? I'll give you a minute to do that if you've never done that. Have you ever thought of it? Everyone understand what I'm talking about? <laughs> okay. See, here's the deal with that. I can't imagine God being the one that would want to conceive and promote a counterfeit purpose at Christmas time, which celebrates the birth of his son, that would take away the focus from being upon what it should be about. Can you? I, I just can't imagine God the Father wanting to take away from the birth of God the Son, his advent coming into this world, taking on flesh to be our perfect ultimate sacrifice, the greatest gift of all time. I can't imagine that, that our Heavenly Father also wanted to conceive something that would be competing with a real reason for Christmas. I like to say I'm not trying to be a small sport. I will tell you that in our family, we never taught uh, some things that are taught at Christmas time. Matter of fact, some people would come up when Jessica, Jessica's not this little anymore, but she's got kids this little now, but they would come up and, uh, and say, well, what is bringing you for Christmas? And she'd say, well, there's no such thing as And, you know, these adults will look like, how dare this child put me in my place? But I'm I'm just saying that potentially we need to think about that. Maybe that, that the enemy wants to rob some things from Christmas, from what Christmas ought to be about. Maybe we need to bring out a new cartoon. Instead of it being the, the Grinch that stole Christmas, maybe we need to bring one out that's the thief that stole Christmas. Because we get our focus so twisted in a way 
from what it ought to really, really be about. And by doing so, we get really frustrated sometimes at Christmas. Have you ever had a Christmas letdown? Any of you ever had a Christmas letdown? You know what that is? You know, maybe a little bit of a Christmas depression. It, it can happen in a lot of ways, but sometimes it can happen because you get built up in your mind how fulfilling it's going to be on Christmas morning when you attack the tree and you rip up in all the presents and, and you're thinking you're going to find exactly the thing that you need to fulfill your life, the thing you've been hinting for, and then you go and it's not there. <laughs> in your bubble first a little bit and you get a little bit of a Christmas letdown. Why? Because you focused on the wrong stuff. See, if we focus upon Christmas being about what it should be about, then no matter what you receive on Christmas morning under the tree or from someone else, if it's really about Jesus and God giving his greatest gift to mankind, then we're just exchanging gifts anyway to show people that we love them. So, so we don't have to get so frustrated if we'll make Christmas about what it ought to be about. Another warning that we ought to take from the words of Jesus is this, just maybe that the thief that he's talking about here is probably not interested in people having better lives. And that's our topic today. All I want for Christmas is a better life. I don't think the enemy, I don't think Satan's interested truly in you having a better life. He's interested in stealing, killing, and destroying. That's what God in the flesh Jesus said. That's the reason he comes. That's what his purpose is. That's what he wants to do in your life is to rob those things away. What he is interested in, though, I think, would be for you and I to have bitter lives instead of better lives because, you see, Satan himself is running around bitter because he wanted to be on the throne of heaven, thought he would ascend to the throne, kick God out. Instead, it didn't quite work out like that. He gets kicked out of heaven because of his stinking pride, and now Satan is filled with bitterness, and he wants you to be filled with bitterness. He's not about you having a better life. The thief wants you to hear his voice and follow him instead of the real shepherd. The thief wants to do everything he can to divert your focus. He wants to kill you, destroy you, even eternally so, if he can do so. So this morning, to start with, and that's not our main focus. The main thing is about what we're about to talk about. But I want you to understand up front, we ought to maybe take a warning from Jesus about this thief. Wanting to steal some things, kill some things, destroy some things out of our lives even at Christmas time. But the words of Jesus that we just read not only should warn us, the words of Jesus that we have read here in John chapter 10, verse 10 and 11, should also thrill us. Look, look what Jesus says. I, I came that they might have life and, and have it abundantly. And if you, if you know Christ as your Savior, that ought to excite you that Jesus said, here's why I came into this world. I came in order for you to have life. I came in order for you to have abundant life. He tells us that he's the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The reason he came into this world wasn't to stay a baby in a manger scene. He came into this world to grow up a sinless life, go to the cross as the one time forever, all time, sacrifice for the sins of mankind. So that through faith in him, you and I can be forgiven, and you and I can be in a relationship with God, and you and I one day can go to this place called heaven forever. That's why he came into this world. That's why these words of, of Christ here ought to thrill us as we read what Jesus said, that we can have 
life. The first step to having a better life, that many of you raised your hands and said you want a better life. The first step is having life at all. Jesus said he came in order that we might have life. We don't like this, but it doesn't change the reality of it. Jesus said he came in order that we might have life. That implies that without him we don't have life. And the Bible tells us in several places, here's one instance of it in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, you were dead in trespasses and sins. In other words, left to ourselves, just like we are, that's where we are. We're dead in trespasses and sins. That's why we need life. The first step to you having a better life is to even have life to begin with, to have spiritual life to begin with. We keep reading in Ephesians, and we find these words as we continue reading in Ephesians. But God being rich in mercy... In other words, God didn't give us really what we deserve. What we deserve was to be separated from all eternity, to be punished because of our sin. We deserve a place called hell, but God who's rich in mercy, not giving us what we deserve because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So the the spiritual life, the life that you have comes through a relationship with Christ. And it says this, by grace you've been saved, not anything you deserve, not anything you can earn, not anything you can work for. It's the unmerited favor of God. The only way that you can be saved is by God's grace. By grace you've been saved. And then it says, and he raises us up with him and seated us with him, talking about Christ, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Here's how sure God is of your salvation if you know Christ as your Savior. God is so sure of your salvation that from his perspective, you may not feel like it from your perspective, but from God's perspective, who knows much more than you and I, amen? From God's perspective, God sees you as though you're seated in heaven already. That's the perspective that God has. If you're a Christian, God is so sure one day you'll be there seated with him. He views it as though it has already happened. How in the world can that be true? How can God give us life when we were dead in trespasses and sin? Well, keep reading on over in Colossians, and we find this in you. Reminding us again, who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. See, through faith in Jesus, Jesus' resurrection, also we're made alive together with him. Having forgiven us all our trespasses, don't you like that word all there? Don't read that too fast. Not part of them, not some of them, but all of your trespasses, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Here's how God can give us life, even though we were dead in trespasses and sin. He sends his son into this world, 
And as his son is nailed to the cross, by doing so, all the legal requirements and the record and the transgressions against us, all our sins were nailed to the cross with Jesus and paid for by Jesus. So through faith in him, you and I can have life. Isn't that a good Christmas message? That he sent his son so we can have life. The words of Jesus ought to to thrill us because we can have life. But not only can we have life, we can have better life. Maybe I should phrase it different. Maybe you might want to write down out of the margin, we can have the best life. Because Jesus also said this, I've come that they might have life and have it. You see that word abundantly? Jesus came into this world so we can have life and it can be an abundant life. What does he mean by that? Because there's a lot of confusion about this abundant life. There's a philosophy or a doctrine, for lack of a better term. It's not real doctrine. It's false doctrine. But there's this, this, uh, this approach in some parts of Christianity that, that I kind of refer to as a health and wealth crowd. And, and in with Jesus, they'll kind of proclaim that because of your faith in Jesus, you shouldn't ever get sick. You ought to have plenty of money. If you want a Mercedes, you ought to have a Mercedes. You just need to claim it. If you don't have a mansion, you just need to claim it. And God will give you a mansion. And they'll make it all in that realm. But that's not really what Jesus is talking about here. Because you have to read what Jesus says in context to John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, Jesus is talking about being the good shepherd. He's talking about being the shepherd that cares for the sheep, that loves the sheep, that guides the sheep, that protects the sheep. So in other words, what we need to glean from that is this. The abundant life that Jesus is talking about isn't tied to our possessions. The abundant life that Jesus is talking about is tied completely and totally to him as our good shepherd. If you want to have an abundant life, the better kind of life, the best life that he has for you, it's not about what you can get. It's about who you know. It's about who you're following. It's about making Jesus your good shepherd and you are following after him. He said, I am the good shepherd. So the abundant life, the better life is undeniably tied to Jesus as our shepherd. That's the context of this passage of scripture. Don't go grab it and make it into something that's not. He, he's saying that he's our good shepherd. It's through him we have life, and it's through him we can have abundant life. So a couple of things about Jesus being our good shepherd. First of all, we need to trust him as our shepherd. We need to trust Jesus Christ as our shepherd. In the same passage of Scripture, Jesus said, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Once again, he's using this illustration of sheep in a sheep gate. The shepherd would literally sit there in the gateway and be the door. And the sheep would come by him. Jesus Christ is our good shepherd. He is the door. He's our entrance way to heaven. He's our entrance way to forgiveness. He's our entrance way into a relationship with Christ because he is the door for us. A better life begins with faith in Jesus. Now, I know a moment ago I was talking about trusting Jesus uh, uh, when I talked about we can have life and all that meant, 
But you need to understand this abundant life that Jesus talks about isn't all the other stuff that I mentioned a moment ago. It's not the possessions. It's not, it's not some guarantee that you'll never have problems or issues in your life. It's not some promise that you'll never get sick, that you'll always have health and all the money that you want to have. Because look at how Jesus phrased this. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. He's talking about you and I having salvation abundantly having eternal life abundantly. Jesus abundantly provided for our salvation. Not all the other stuff that people try to make it about. A better life begins with faith in Jesus and it's tied to a faith in Jesus. He's the door. We go in and out through him. Through him we're saved. Through him we can go out and find pastor. Another way to say that would be this. Through him we can find what we need in our lives. The sheep would follow the shepherd to find what they needed. We can find what we need for our lives and have better lives by following the shepherd. But it begins by us trusting him. We have to trust Jesus as our shepherd. Secondly, we need to follow Jesus as our shepherd. We need to follow him as our shepherd. He said, I am the good shepherd. Please please listen real closely for a moment. Don't want you to get a wrong message or anything. But real, real faith in Christ, I think the Bible teaches it more than just some mental concession that you make that Jesus lived and Jesus existed and that Jesus died on a cross and that Jesus took his life back up. I think real faith in him is those things, but it's also this. We believe that enough to follow him. We believe it enough to follow him. It's not some little mental idea you pack in your mind and it never makes any difference in your life. You believe him enough to follow him. We're to follow Jesus. What was the invitation he made to his first disciples? Come and what? Follow me. And and I'll make you fishers of men. He he desires for us to, yes, believe in him, believe he's real, believe he did all those things for us. But real belief, real faith positions us to where we're actually following him. It's not, oh, yeah, I believe Jesus existed, but, you know, all that stuff's for later on, maybe in eternity or something. I'm just going to live my life however I want to live my life now. That's not a picture of real faith in the Bible. Real faith involves following our shepherd. Jesus said, come and follow me. Having a truly better life comes from following Christ as our shepherd, allowing him to be our shepherd, us seeing where he wants us to. Uh, us seeing where he wants to lead us, us listening to his voice, us following him and finding what we need for our lives by following our shepherd. Your better life comes from following Jesus. Now, having said that, I want to unpack that a little bit and, and let's talk about really what that looks like. To begin with, we trust and follow Jesus Based on Jesus' own words, I think we ought to trust and follow him because we know him and he knows us. Because we know him and he knows us. Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. 
He knows you if you belong to Him. He knows you. He knows His own. And He said, and my own know me. And it's, it's an intimate, deep relationship we have with Him because He said, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. I, I promise you the Father and the Son have really close fellowship with each other. So if we're going to find better lives by following Jesus as our shepherd, here's a reason why you ought to be willing to follow him. Number one, because he knows his own. He said, I know my own. In other words, Jesus knows you. Not just you by name. He knows you fully. He knows you deeply. He knows what you're facing. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows your emotions. He knows exactly how you're feeling this morning. Whatever you're wrestling with in your life, Jesus knows. And because he knows you fully, who better to follow than the one that says he's the good shepherd because he wants what's best for your life. Not what's worse, not what's negative. He wants the very best for your life. So that's why we ought to follow him because he knows us. The flip side of that would be this. He he said, and they know me. So if you're a Christian and you know him and you understand he is the good shepherd and he does want what's best for your life, you know him, you have a personal relationship with him, that's why you'll have the desire to follow him because he says, I know you and you know me. And I'm the good shepherd, so that's why you ought to to follow me. Now, that doesn't mean following Jesus doesn't have any trials or any persecution or any problems. That's not what I'm saying. Your life being a better life, I can promise you, will be a better life, the life that he wants for you, if you will follow him. That doesn't mean that you get to live a life void of problems, that life will be a cakewalk. Jesus told his own disciples this in John chapter 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he said, I've said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So Jesus doesn't promise a life without issues, a life without problem, a life without any, any failures or any faults taking place. But still, a life following Jesus is the better life. It's the best life. Because he's there to help you make it through those issues. You know he loves you. You know he cares for you. You know he's there to be your good shepherd and to lead you and guide you. Hebrews chapter 11 really puts this in perspective for us, I think. It says this, some were tortured, refusing to accept release. Will you catch that second phrase, some were tortured, refusing to accept release? If you're being tortured, you'd probably want to find a way out of it, wouldn't you? But when the way out of it was denying Christ, they refused to do that. They refused to accept release so that they may rise again to a better life. If you know Christ is your Savior, you may not have the best life here. You may have issues and problems here, but it's still a better life to follow Him. And ultimately, it will be the better life, the best life, eternal life in His presence when He brings you into His presence for all eternity. We ought to follow Him because He knows us and we know Him. 
Second reason why we ought to follow him is because he lays his life down for us. He laid his life down for us. Jesus said the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And you want some motive to follow Jesus this Christmas season? You want some reason to let him be your shepherd and guide you and you find a, a better life, the life he has for you by following him? How about this one? He laid down his life for you. In John chapter 10 alone, look how many times he says he lays down his life. He says it here in verse number 11. Let's continue to read. In verse number 15, he said, And I lay down my life for the sheep. In verse 17 through 18, he says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. He did it willingly, freely for you and I. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. Five times in a few short verses, Jesus said, I lay down my life. That's why we ought to follow him. He loved us enough to lay his life down for us. You know of anyone else that's ever done that for you? Now, some of you may. Because some of you may say, yeah, there, there are soldiers who lay their life down for us. And they do. Or a law enforcement officer, a fireman, or you know, some person like that may have laid their life down for you. So let me go a little bit further. Do you know of anyone else that laid their life down and took their life back up? No, didn't think so. Then why, why not follow him as your good shepherd? He laid his life down for you. He took his life back up to prove that through faith in him we can have everlasting life. So why not follow Jesus and experience a better life? as you follow him. In order to follow him, we follow Jesus, our good shepherd, by hearing his voice. By hearing his voice. Jesus said twice in John chapter 10, when he's gone, when he's brought out all of his own, talking about the shepherd, he, he goes before them and his sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Then verse 27, he said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. In that time period in the Middle East, the, and still yet today, some shepherds that are there, they, they lead the sheep by daytime. They, they, they take them to places to eat, to the green pastures, to the still waters that Psalm 23 talks about. But at night, they go to this thing called a sheepfold that I alluded to earlier that's walled in. And more than one shepherd would use the sheepfold. There could be several shepherds and several flocks of sheep that would be in any one sheepfold at night. And during that time, those sheep would get mixed in. I mean, it couldn't help but happen inside the walls all night long as they would sleep. So here's how they would separate out the next morning the shepherd their shepherd would come out and call them and because those sheep in his flock knew his voice they would respond to him and follow him instead of following some other shepherd in like fashion you and i need to know the voice of jesus 
We need to know the voice. And, and for that to happen, you have to tune into it. it, it it's not some mystical type thing. You, you, can, you can study this Bible and read this Bible and figure out some things that you know up front are the voice of God, the voice of Christ, because it's here written easily for us to read. And we can discern, is that the shepherd's voice or is this something else that I'm hearing? We ought to hear the voice of our shepherd and follow him understanding that he's going to take us out to good pastors. He's going to take us out to what we, what we need in our lives. We ought to follow him because he knows us and we know him because he laid down his life for us and we need to listen to his voice. If you want a better life this Christmas, the pathway to that better life is not going to be what you get under the tree Christmas morning. The pathway for you to have a better life is to follow Jesus more closely. That's the pathway to having a better life. Have you ever noticed some of the imagery in the original Christmas story there in uh, Luke 2 and and in Matthew? How some of the images that were given there really can be used to be symbolic of us following Christ. To begin with, the star that the wise men followed. Probably been in display for months, and they'd been on a journey coming to where the star would lead them. And they would find the Savior of the world as they arrived to see him. Probably a young child by that time. But they're following this star that they see. And the Bible tells us in Revelation Jesus said, I am the root and the descendant of the offspring of David, the bright morning star. So he's our star, and we ought to follow him. Oh, Hollywood's got a lot of stars for you. Our culture has a lot of stars for you. Most of them will mess you up. If you want a better life, you need to follow Jesus because he's the star. The shepherds are another image that we're given in that original Christmas story. I mean, why, why appear to shepherds? Because God could have chosen to send the angels to announce it to kings instead of common shepherds out in the field. Well, just maybe here's why. Because Jesus himself will be the good shepherd, the great shepherd, and we are to follow him. You have sheep in that original Christmas story. Those sheep are there because they're out in the fields following the shepherd, being protected and guided by the shepherd, which implies to us we need to follow our shepherd, our great shepherd. And then also in the Christmas story, you have a sovereign Savior pictured. In Luke, it says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David, David who was king of Israel, who the Messiah was supposed to come through, in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Matthew chapter 1 says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Then in Matthew chapter 2, as those wise men come, they ask this question, Where is he that's been born king of the Jews? You want to know why you ought to follow Jesus? You want to know why you can have a better life by following Jesus more closely? Because he's the Savior of the world. Came to die for you on the cross. 
That's why you ought to follow him. Because he's God with us. God in the flesh come into this world. God with us. God incarnate. That's why you ought to follow him closely. And because he's king. Where is he that's born king of the Jews? He's not just king of the Jews. The Bible says he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And if you want someone to follow, someone to elevate, someone to focus on, as you try and get a better life, you'll find it by following the king of kings and the Lord of lords. But can I ask you a question? Have you done that? Have you trusted Christ? Are you following Christ? Do you really have faith in Jesus? The Bible tells us this. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever doesn't have the Son does not have life. That's kind of cut and dried, isn't it? So if you know Jesus, if you have Jesus as your Savior, you have life. But if you don't have him, if you've never trusted in him, you don't have life. So why not on this Sunday before Christmas get the greatest gift you ever could possibly receive by allowing God to give you everlasting life, by trusting in Jesus by faith. He's the good shepherd who laid his life down for you. He's a good shepherd who desires the best for your life. John chapter 10 and verse 9, read it again. I read it earlier. I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Right now today, you can enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You can have your sins forgiven. You can be saved for all eternity and you can find what you need in your life, the pastor that you need, the place that, that God wants to take you to. Jesus also said this in John chapter 10, in verse 25 through 30. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. He's talking to religious leaders of that day. I told you, but you don't believe. He said, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. In other words, all the miracles and everything I've done are there to give authority to who I am, to prove who I am, to prove that my words are true. But you, don't, but you do not believe because you are not part of my flock. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. The Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're not part of his flock. You don't belong to him if you do believe in Jesus you are part of his flock and he gives you eternal life and no one not you yourself or anyone else no one can pluck you out of his hand
All I want for Christmas is a better life. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, you can have the better life by making that first step by saying yes to Jesus. If you already know Him, you can have a better life even as a Christian by following Him more closely. Let's pray. Father, God forgive us that we have been guilty of making Christmas about so many different things than what it should be about. Help us right now to focus our attention and our, and our hearts and our love toward you. Let this Christmas morning be different. Let us begin by thinking about you, by worshiping you, before any of the other activities take place. Father, if there's anyone here today that's not a Christian, they've never trusted Christ as their Savior, you tell us that we're dead in trespasses and sin without Jesus. So, Father, I pray if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus, I pray right now that you'll give them the faith that they need and help them to step through Jesus who's the door and experience real life. God, help us as believers to have better lives by following you better, by following you closer in our lives. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.